Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line. With me, Michael Radelnik, I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible and the academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. It's where we answer your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, now's the time to give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can also always post your question by going to openlineradio.org. You scroll down, there's a link that says, Ask Michael a Question. Click on that. And that's where you can post your question, and Trish will put it into the mailbag. Before we get back to the phones, I want to tell you about the last week of our current resource. Obviously, we need to study the Scriptures. We need to read the Scriptures. We need to meditate on the Scriptures. We need to have our minds renewed by the Scriptures. But when I tell people they need to read the Bible, uh, and especially that I really encourage us all to read the Bible every day, they say, well, I just... I don't always get anything out of it. Well, how can we get more out of our Bible? Well, Colin Smith, a wonderful pastor in the Chicago area, has written a book. It's called 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a very small book that gives a very big picture of how to read the Bible. The more we read the Bible in this way, the more we get from it. And this little book can help us unlock a deeper understanding of Scripture. I really want to encourage you to get it. It's a simple, helpful guide to make the Bible much more accessible to everyone who reads it. It's yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. We just want to say thanks. We really appreciate you. And we want to send you this gift for for giving a gift to us. And if you'd like to receive uh, this book uh, and want to give a gift, just call 888 644 that's 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org and remember when you give be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the bible we're going to go to the phones right now and we're going to talk to yarek yarek listening in chicago on wmbi welcome to open line yarek how can i help you uh good morning uh michael uh, Good I, I have a uh, I have uh, I have a struggle with uh, uh, listening and uh, Holy Spirit to the, uh, any commentaries. Okay, simply because first of all, I didn't find any reference in the commentary in the Bible, but it's it's a lot of references to um, uh, read the Bible directly because that's the living word of the God. So my question is, is it, and I would like to hear your opinion based on the reference from the Bible, is it better to uh, hear the clear question, from uh, clear uh, understanding uh, Holy Spirit by, uh, uh, by uh, Bible references? Um, even writing by uh, very godly people, or for example, uh, my approach is uh, small group Bible study with other people. Okay, or maybe both. well. Uh, first of all, uh, I would say I am absolutely committed that we should read the Bible. Uh, 
uh, one of the reasons why I, I like study Bibles, I find them helpful, but I don't have a study Bible that I read from all the time is because I find people read the notes, the annotations at the bottom in a study Bible instead of reading the text. I think it's much better to read the Bible in a fresh way, read the scriptures for yourself. And I also consider biblical literacy. People often wonder, what is biblical literacy? In my opinion, biblical literacy is when we start reading the Bible and we see how it relates to other passages of the Bible, that we read it and we see the internal conversation that's going on between biblical authors. So that's very important, I think. And you only get that by reading the unvarnished scripture. So that's the very first thing. Uh, Then, secondly, I think there's a place when we don't understand it to get help so we can understand the sense of what the scripture's saying. Here's why I would say that. When I look at Nehemiah, and it's chapter 8, it says in verse 2, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law, that's the Torah scroll, before the assembly of men, women, and men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And what he does in verse 5, he opened the book in full view of the people, and since, since he was elevated above everyone, as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and they bowed down and they worshiped. And then when he read it to them, it says that he gave them the sense of the meaning. He gave, he explained it to them. They stood by the water gate and he stood on a high wooden purpose and he, he, a high wooden platform and he opened the book and he gave them the sense of it. Uh, he explained to them what the Bible means. And I, I think that is one of the most important things that we could do is to help people understand the Bible. And that's what a commentary should do. It helps us understand the different things. So he read it to them, but he also gave them the sense of it. And uh, it says in verse 8, they read out the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Do you follow that? So Ezra not only gave the the reading, but he gave the sense, the meaning of it. Uh, and I think that's what a commentary does. It's why I have spent, uh, I spent six and a half years working on the Moody Bible commentary because I think it's so important to help people get a, an understanding of it. But like you, I agree. I think the the starting point is to read the scriptures for ourselves. And when we hit a speed bump that says, wait, I don't understand what this means. That's when we go to the commentary and get some help. So, uh, I think the best example of that is Ezra who gave the meaning of the text to the people so that they could understand it. So anyway, thanks for your call, Garrick. I really appreciate it. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening and you think, man, I, I would like to have a commentary that helps. I recommend the Moody Bible commentary. Mike Van Lanningham and I spent six and a half years working with a team of professors from Moody Bible Institute. And it's a one volume commentary on the whole Bible It gives the sense of the passages. It gives you the background that you need. I really recommend it. 
you can get it at uh, moodybooks.com or you can uh, or moodypublishers.com am I right uh, and uh, the other place you can go to find it is uh, you can go to local bookstores Christian bookstores always great to get it there or you can go to your favorite online bookseller and they will have it as well so Moody Bible Commentary, great help for you. Uh, we're going to speak next with Mike in Chicago, Illinois, uh, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Mike. How can I help you? Oh, uh, hi, hi, Doctor. And uh, wow, Nehemiah 8, that's our Thanksgiving verse. I always read that before uh, Thanksgiving. That's great. Thank you. That's good. How can I help you? Mike? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead with your question, Mike. Okay. Okay, it's uh, Hebrews 11. Um, there's two promises that are set forth there. The first is in 13. And in the first 12 verses, it, there's this, uh, you know, catalog of uh, uh, ancients who were saved by their faith. And then in 13, it says, all these died in faith without having been received what was promised. And then it goes on, and it goes through post-Abrahamic uh, figures like Jacob and Moses. And then it says in 39, it again says, yet all these, even though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. I'm not sure what was promised. I understand that some people think it's Jesus. I'm not sure I, I buy that. But my other question is, if God promises things, that's one thing I've always staked my, uh, you know, my faith on, is that God keeps his promise. So what were they promised, and why didn't they get it? Uh, they God does keep his promises, but they died in faith without having received the fulfillment of the promises yet. Okay? And I do think the ultimate promise of the Bible for these people was the coming Messiah. And he hadn't come yet. So they died looking forward to the day when he would come. And what it says in verse uh, 39, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive the fulfillment of the promises yet since God had provided something better for us. That's the Messiah. He's the better one of the book of Hebrews. So they would not be made perfect without us. So he didn't fulfill it for them yet because God was going to give it to the people from the time when the book of Hebrews was written so that they wouldn't get it without us. And so uh, basically what it did is now that the Messiah has come, they're being included in that. We are being included in it. And one day we'll all celebrate together as we spend eternity together serving him. But that's what it is. They, the Messiah had not yet come, but he, he did come for the time, time the Hebrews experienced this. And now they, now they have received the fulfillment of the promises uh, now that they're with the Lord and Jesus has come. He's died. He's been resurrected. That's what that's talking about. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks. They, it, you know, just when you read that, when they, they did not receive the promises, just remember that it's saying that they did not receive the fulfillment of the promises yet. Okay. So if you add a word in there. Yeah. It's the idea of yet. That's it's, that's what it is. So, okay. Uh, I, I hope that that helps you out there. Hey, uh, Trisha, I, you need to know that my uh, screen just lost the uh, the callers. So, yeah, who who is it now? Vicky in Illinois. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you? 
Thank you. I appreciate you, Vicky, and I especially hey like the days when Eva is with you. Can you hear me? Have we lost all our callers? No. Oh, are you there? I can't call her. I can't hear her. I don't know. What Hello? We're having a little technical difficulty. Trisha, why don't you ask Vicki what her... I can hear you, so why don't you ask what her question is? Open line. So glad that you have joined me. We're gonna uh, go right back to the phones and Vicky. Uh, I think listening in Chicago. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you? Well, actually, I'm in Rantoul, Illinois. Rantoul, Illinois. Wonderful. So glad you called. Yes. How I'm, can I? How can I help okay. you? Okay. Well, I want. Okay. I have been reading in Luke chapter 19 from. <clears throat> excuse me, 37 um, to 44. Um, it's a triumphal entry of Christ. And it says the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And then in verse 41, it says that he is weeping over this this city because he tells them that they have missed the time of their visitation. And he forewarns them about the the siege that will be coming. And I'm sort of stumped because he has a multitude of disciples. So why did the city get destroyed? Well, you think of it, uh, if you look at verse 39, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And the reason they were saying rebuke him because the disciples were saying, He's the Messiah. And, and so while the people are rejoicing that the Messiah had come, the leadership, the, the religious leadership are saying, no, no, we don't believe that. And he said, I tell you, they were to keep silent. If they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And then he approached, and he's on the Mount of Olives, I believe, and overlooking the city and weeping over it. What he's looking at is the temple. He's looking at this, the religious leadership of Israel. And he's weeping because the religious leadership has rejected him. They've rejected him already earlier. And they've made this decision. So while many of the crowds would believe in him, the religious leadership was going to lead the nation to disbelief, at least temporarily. And that's why okay. he says... If you knew this day, what would bring peace? This day, the fulfillment of Messiah's appearance. But now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone or another. The temple was completely destroyed in you. They won't have it because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. They failed to recognize the Messiah. And so that's why it says that they were uh, 
they were very much uh, saddened by that. Now, what I think is interesting is uh, when they when they did that, they were basically it's an until situation. Uh, when you look at Luke twenty one, I believe it is, and he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, he says that all this bad stuff's going to be happening and the Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles. Verse 24, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So it's not a forever situation. It's when the times of the Gentiles, the, the times of Gentile domination over the world is fulfilled. When the Messiah returns, he's going to restore Jerusalem. And so it's not considered a permanent condition. It is temporary until Messiah returns. Okay? I hope that, does that help? Vicky? Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. We are going to, uh, we're going to take another call now. Uh, Kenny from Muncie, Indiana. Uh, welcome, welcome to Open Line, Kenny. How can I help you? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. This is my very first time trying to be on the show. <laughs> Uh, oh, great. I'm so glad you, you called. That's wonderful. Yes, uh, thank you. And I, I love you. Uh, I, I love your program, Dr. Wright Delnick. My question is, um, my wife and I are, are studying the Bible, and we read in Titus 3 today, uh, Paul was warning Titus uh, not to, to have him or his congregation get you know, mixed up over meaningless uh, gene, genealogies. And then I think he also says it again in First Timothy chapter 1, talking to Timothy, and I'm just curious as to what were the genealogies that people were getting all warped about. Well, they, they were building whole religious systems on genealogy. Sometimes they were taking them off from the Bible. And, you know, I see that sometimes, uh, that there are people who read the genealogies, which have a point. They establish family lines. They establish uh, authenticity. They're there's some really important uh -huh. aspects of the biblical genealogies, but people were making much more of them than the Bible does. And, okay. and I see that today. There are people who spend their hours tracing these genealogies, trying to figure out real in-depth things far more than the Bible does. Cause these genealogies, when the Bible gives a genealogy are not absolutely complete. They may skip two, three generations. And so it'll be a, a, a father and then his grandchildren and then his great grand that one's great grandchildren it's it's not just generation to generation every generation listed and as a result when people start looking at things they get all confused because they're seeing things far more than the bible wanted and then of course there were uh in the ancient world there were people who were working on uh fabricated genealogies as well from other texts and as a result they were they were trying to compare that with scripture and and Paul's like, you guys are majoring on the minors. You got the big picture. We have the fulfillment of the genealogy, Jesus. You know, keep the main thing the main thing is what he's saying. Don't get up caught up in these genealogies, which will only serve to confuse you. That's what he's saying. Okay? The commentaries that we read said that there was something about angelic genealogies. Do you know what that commentator might I, have been talking about? No, I don't think it's true. I think they were just looking at the genealogies of, of some of the extra-biblical books, genealogies in the Bible. They were doing all sorts of stuff. I don't think there may be books that had angelic genealogies, but I don't think that's what they were doing. I don't know oh, about any okay. books that have that. 
Oh, yeah. well, well, hey, well, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak next with Carrie in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on WMBW. Welcome to Open Line, Carrie. How can I help you? Yes. Uh, I'm 82 years old, and I have a brother who is 81. And about 25 years ago, somebody introduced my brother to a spiritualist who in turn introduced him to a spirit whom he apparently communicates with periodically. And he's tried to write a couple of books on spirituality. And I'm concerned when he passes away where he may go because of his reliance on spirits. Uh, any particular recommendation on how I could approach him? Or are there any booklets or books that I could get yeah. to maybe help him? Well, let me ask you this. What's his, what does he believe about Jesus? Well, he doesn't have much to say. I, we've, my daughter and I have tried to approach him on that, and he just kind of blows it off. And this, this has been a few years ago. We haven't tried to approach him recently. We grew up in the church, but uh, I remain, but apparently he didn't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it seems to me that what he has gotten into is a form of the occult. That's what it is. And the occult is uh, obviously something that is forbidden by God. I think I might start with Deuteronomy 18 and, and sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart with him and say, look, this is what God told Israel as they were entering the land. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18, he, he forbids occult practices of Israel when they enter the land, and I think it's still true. And he talks about the things that people are supposed to avoid. It says in verse 10, no one among you is to make his son or daughter pass through the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult, consult a medium or a familiar spirit, inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these things is testable to the Lord. Now, you don't have to do them all, just one. Uh, it's, he was just given a whole list of things that could potentially be the factor that that is making them, uh, you know, separate from God. In other words, anything to do with spiritualism that is not biblical uh, in the sense of uh, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, we can have real supernatural power. The Bible says that those of us who have trusted in Jesus, that he died for us and rose again, we've come to know him. We have the power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, dwelling right inside us. That's what Romans 8 says. So if we want spiritual power, we've got all we need. We don't have to go to these false sources of spiritual power. And, and that's really, I mean, I, I wouldn't deny the reality of it with him. I would talk about it being inadequate and driving you away from God. That's what I would try and have a heart to heart with him about it. How do you feel about that? Okay. 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 You think he would, you think he'd receive that? I would bathe uh, that in prayer is what I would do. Get people to okay. pray for you. You pray about it. And then you lovingly talk to him about it. 
That's what I would say. Okay. 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 Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it so much. Uh, we're going to speak with Becky in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on the Moody Radio app to WGNR. Uh, uh, go ahead with your question, Becky. How can I help you? Hi, Michael. Um, Hi. In a study this week, we were looking at John nineteen twenty three, and it talked about how after he was, or while he was being crucified, the soldiers took his garments and, and divided them. Mm-hmm. They made a distinction between the four parts that were divided of his clothing and the tunic that couldn't be torn. I'm wondering about the difference in clothing, uh, clothing, but also the um, is there a correlation between the tunic and the curtain of the temple? For, right off the bat, there's no there's no correlation between the tunic and the temple. So no, the the thing is. They divided their clothes among themselves, which is what the scriptures foretell in Psalm 22 that they would do with the Messiah, and they cast lots for my clothing. What it was is the tunic was the most valuable, so they cast lots over who got it. That's what that's about. Uh, they didn't they didn't want to tear it. You know, I want it. No, you want it. They cast lots for it, and that fulfilled the prophecy. Hope that helps. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. Uh, Trish is coming with the mailbag, so don't go away. This is Michael Rydelnik on Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm so glad that you are listening today. Uh, Joining me right now, is Trisha McMillan. Trish is my uh, radio partner here. She ha- Trisha, how long have you been the producer of Open Line? Oh, man. Um, quick math. Seven? Seven and years. and a half years, maybe? Yeah, seven and a half years. Of so this I've iteration. This. I did the first Open yeah. Line for seven and a half years as well. Yeah, yeah. And you're only like 20. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. <laughs> so uh, now, Trisha... I've been doing this for 11 and a half years and I've had wonderful producers, but we have uh, uh, just a great partnership in doing this. And people tell me all the time that they are happy when I go on the road and they get to meet me, but they really want to meet Trisha. <laughs> they say that all the time. <laughs> Cause I always say, you know, I just do whatever Trisha tells me to do. Uh, now this is the FEBC mailbag. You told me to do that, right? Yes. Uh, we're grateful that FEBC partners with us so that we can uh, bring you the mailbag. But the, I think FEBC is a great ministry. And if you want to know, learn more about it, they're reaching places that, with media that can get in where nobody can go. It's, uh, they have a great weekly podcast called Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon. Check it out at FEBC.org. Now, Tricia, we have been partners doing this for seven and a half years I've been doing the program for 11 years or more, uh, but we have kitchen table partners that also are partners on the program. They help keep us on the air every week because they mm-hmm. give every month. Uh, now, when we went to Indianapolis recently, did you meet some kitchen table partners? I did. Did yes. they say anything about why they're kitchen table partners? Some of them, they just talk about the 
the knowledge that they learn in studying the Bible with us each week, mm-hmm. with you yeah. each week. <laughs> yeah, the, I think that, you know, one of the things I want is I just don't want to fill people's heads. And I, I really would like to see us all apply the scriptures better. And people have said that they, they appreciate that kind of balance of, of information as well as transformation that I'm trying for. I, I want to be transformed by the scriptures. I want our listeners to be transformed by the scriptures. So if you're interested in becoming a kitchen table partner, I'm, I appreciate everyone that listens. I, I often say that when I started this on open line, I used to think the only person that would listen is my wife, Eva. But no, people do listen and I appreciate everyone that listens, but there are special listeners who say, yeah, we want to be part of the program. We are going to be kitchen table partners. We don't just sit around the radio kitchen table. We want to give to that. And they give monthly. And then I send them an audio Bible study every other week. It's a Bible study moment that you can click on your email and hear a little Bible study, five minutes or so, to give you a little bit of encouragement from the Word. If you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, you can do so by calling 888-644-7122, or you can sign up online at openlineradio.org. And by the way, you do know, and we're going to have to give an update in a, probably next week, uh, my friend William Washington, he's been praying that we go from about 500 kitchen table partners starting in October to 1,000 by the end of the year. Wow, wouldn't that be something? So, that'd be great yeah so we'll give them an update next week you'll see we'll see how many kitchen table partners there are okay uh well anyway uh we're going to go to the questions now trisha what do you got all right our um uh, first question is from mim 771 on instagram and they want to know since it is set well they've heard that the sadducees are the ones who controlled the priesthood in the Bible and wanted to know if Caiaphas, who was the high priest uh, who sent Jesus to Pilate, um, was Caiaphas a Sadducee or a Pharisee? Maybe you should start with describing the two first. Okay. What's the Sadducees were the priestly party. There, there were parties that developed in Israel and the Sadducees from the tribe, from the line of Zadok. That's where we get the word Sadducee. Oh, from. okay. Uh, from the line of Zadok, uh, the priest. Uh, so they are Zadokim in Hebrew, the Sadducees. Hmm. And uh, anyway, the uh, the they were a little more because they worked with Rome to keep the priesthood under them, and so they were a little bit more pro-Rome. Okay, you would say they only believed in the the. Torah, they didn't believe in the prophets or the writings. So they were very, very limited in their amount of scripture. And they, they had their whole focus of worship on the temple. And then there was this other group, another political party, so to speak, or religious party. Uh, they were called Pharisees. It means separatists from the word parush. Uh, and uh, they are separatists in the sense that they wanted to keep everything separate separate from sin they wanted to keep the bible perfectly keep the torah perfectly that was their goal a very hard thing but externally they could do it that's why paul says after the law he was blameless when he was a pharisee so uh, but they were very focused on torah not temple 
and they believed not only the Torah but the law and the the law, the prophets and the writings. They believed them all. So and they so, also so the the Pharisees would have accepted the whole Old Testament as we know exactly. it, exactly. Versus yeah. the Sadducees who who believed Just the first the five books. Yep. Okay. That's it. And uh, and the Pharisees had a big emphasis on resurrection. The Sadducees had a big emphasis on the here and now. So they were different. But the, when the temple was destroyed, since the Sadducees were all temple-oriented, well, they didn't have much to continue in their religion, in their faith. And so the, the, the Pharisees are the ones that restructured Judaism to be a religion without temple. And they became known, that became known as rabbinic Judaism. Okay. So, so now it was the question against. So, so Caiaphas was Caiaphas Ca- the high priest? He, then yes. he would have been a Sadducee. Uh, he would have been a Sadducee. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that question. So, mm-hmm. kind of related, Christine in Ohio listens to WCRF, and was reading the Moody Bible Commentary, which talks about the sons of Zadok being the ones who continue the priestly line, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. How will those in the future temple know um, who – will that still be the sons of Zadok who continue well, we, that in the future temple? We know who is going to be uh, priests because Jewish people have maintained the line of priesthood uh, and Levites. But uh, I, I think we're going to just have to rely on God and the Lord – you know, God, the Lord Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus to be the one that our, our high priest, not from the line of Levi, uh, our high priest from the line of Judah, the, the priest king, he's going to have to give us direction and understanding about that. I don't, I don't know how we'll know because a lot of those records have been lost. But right. we know, we continue to know who's a priest and who's a Levite. How do, how do you is, know that? I mean, like, how your do parent, they... your, your dad tells you. Basically, oh. it's generation from generation. Okay. Uh, and so, like, uh, my dad was a Levite, so I'm a Levite. Okay. And you see, in the synagogue, when you had to get up and read the scriptures on a weekly basis, uh, they always have a priest, a Levite, and then the, an Israelite, a... A, a non-priest or Levite? <laughs> yeah, anyone okay. that's Jewish. And so, uh, and your name is that, my name has the word Levite in it. My actual name is, uh, has... Uh, my Hebrew name is different than my English name. My Avram Moses, Avram Moshe. That's my Hebrew name, Abraham Moses. Uh, Avram Moshe ben Yitzchak Halevi, uh, son of Isaac the Levite. Hence I know I'm a Levite. Huh. So, uh, and my kids are Levites too because they're descended from me. Uh, it comes from the father. So So the the Levite part just goes to the father, but you can be Jewish if either parent... Is yes. Jewish? That's well. The rabbis say just through the mother to be Jewish, uh, which is kind of interesting. Just through the mother. That's but that's a very late decision. If you go to the Bible, it's either parent. You know, okay. Ruth the Moabitess, a, gent, a Gentile woman, had Jewish children, right? O, yes. O, o, o de, uh, and then uh, and is in the lineage of David, who would have been yeah. <laughs> who who yeah. was viewed as Jewish. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Timothy was considered Jewish, and only his mother was Jewish. So, yeah, that's that's it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Do we have any other questions, or do we want to get one more in there? Sure. Not not about women keeping silent in the churches this time. I know no. that we had a question about that. We'll do that next week. Yes. No. Um, 
I have one. I think we've got just because of time, time is what I was thinking. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Esther in Michigan. Yeah. Is grieved over her past sin in her childhood, and that she feels like even though she has repented, she still struggles with that regret and shame and guilt, and that she feels kind of like a fraud. So, how do you handle that guilt and condemnation that kind of Satan brings back up? over these yeah. sins that you've already confessed enough to yeah. kind of get past that, to share the gospel with others. Yeah. I think that the best thing to do is get all those verses. You know, I'll cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, the, that like in, uh, I think, I think that's Micah seven eighteen somewhere around there. Uh, as far as the East is from the West so far, I uh, removed your sin. Uh, all those verses, just go get all those verses and memorize them. Uh, the verse, if you confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Uh, there's no, that's First John 1, 9. Uh, Romans 8, 1. Uh, there's no condemnation. Get those verses. Transform your mind. Read them. Meditate on them. Uh, Post them up memorize, in your bathroom memorize and in your them. car visor and all the places. Yeah. yeah. And remember, God never expected us to be perfect. When we talk about our faith, he never expected us. What he expected us to be is uh, people who point to Jesus so that other imperfect people can find forgiveness in him. So when people say, well, you're not perfect, amen to that. That's why I'm telling (laughs) you about this. You need the same help I need. So that's what I would say. All right. We are just like everyone else. We're all sinners. (laughs) But we have a great Savior. That's who it. lived the that's perfect it. life that we couldn't live. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's like that great thing. Oh, what's his name from the uh, from Ohio? Uh, the preacher, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Uh, oh, Alistair uh, Begg? Alistair Begg, uh-huh. yes. That great clip. I love that mm-hmm. when uh, what the man, the thief on the cross will say. He's not going to talk about his religion, his baptism, or anything like that. What he's going to talk about? The man on the middle cross said I could be here. And that's what we need to remember. We're not, we didn't earn it. It's, it's all him. It's all him. So yeah. anyway, I hope that helps. We're going to take a break yeah. here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take your calls. You're listening to Trisha McMillan, who does a great job putting those questions together. Uh, thanks, Trisha. And Michael Rajelnik, that's me. I do my best to answer them. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk with you about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. This is Open Line with Michael Radonik. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line. We have seen some terrible images coming from Israel. uh, And it's heartbreaking when we see them on TV, on TV news, or other media. But there are better pictures, and I would like for you to get a look at them. Chosen People Ministries, one of the underwriters for this program, have a coffee table picture book, photographs of Israel. It's called Israel, the Land, and the People. And you can really see the real people, the places of Israel. It is just a wonderful book to remind us to pray for Israel at this time and to look at those pictures and see what it's like really uh, in in normal times in Israel. 
And so I would really like to encourage you to get that book just so that it will be a great reminder to pray for Israel. And the way you get it is just go to, it's called Israel, the land and the people. All you have to do is go to our website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down till you see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. You can get this wonderful book as a free gift. Click on that. It'll take you to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel, the land and the people. I think you're going to really appreciate this book, and it'll be a great prompter for praying for Israel at this time. Well, we're going to go to the phones, and I, I want to do a lightning round as best I can. And what that means is just go ahead and ask your question, and I'll try to answer it as fast as I can. Okay? So if you're listening now and you're waiting to come on the air, you know, I appreciate all the different things you want to tell me about your question, but I would really like it to see how many I can get in now, uh, just go ahead and ask your question. Okay, we're going to start with Dolly in Florida, listening to WKES. Hey, Dolly, welcome to Open Line. How can I help you? Hi, doctor. Um, Hi. Uh, thank you. Uh, my question is about rapture. And so with everything going on, um, everybody has questions and there's a lot of discussion about the rapture. Um, and I believe um, the rapture based on Matthew 24 um, of it being uh, pre-tribulation. Uh, uh, but when I look at the references for a post-tribulation uh, post rapture, I'm not quite sure how to um, simplify simply share that, I guess? It's, what's the easiest way to kind of speak of the references in Revelation that point to the saints and that people argue is a post-tribulation rapture? Well, I think that the arguments are better for a pre-tribulation rapture, so I think just get to know the best arguments for rather than, again, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 1, it says that the Lord Jesus, uh, we wait for his son, Lord Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath is the tribulation. He delivers us from it. He keeps us out of it. Same thing similarly is said in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 that uh, God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation or deliverance through our Lord Jesus the Messiah. So God does not want us to have wrath. And then you go to the book of Revelation, what you were talking about, the promise of the church of Philadelphia applies to all the churches Revelation 3.10 says this, uh, because uh, I will keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come over the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. So many times believers think that we have to go through the tribulation because it's, we have to be tested. But I don't think that's the case. I think God will move us out, keep us out from that terrible time uh, just because he gets the wrath of God on earth and uh, believers will not experience the wrath of God. Uh, so he will remove the church. Uh, okay. I hope that helps Dolly. Uh, we're going to go to Douglas in Alabama listening on WRNF. Welcome to open line, Douglas. How can I help you? Yes. Thank you, doctor. Um, my question is about Daniel chapter 10, the man that came to him in the vision that spoke to him, his description sounds like, seems like Jesus but some of his actions and what he says later in the, uh, in the chapter seem to make it seem like he's an angel. So do you think he's a Jesus coming in the vision or an angel sent from him? 
I think when you look at the description, it, it means that he's glorious. His body was like topaz, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. But the problem was that he couldn't bring the message to Daniel because the prince of Persia, a word for a, uh, I guess you would say a demonic force behind the, the king of Persia, that he was obstructing this angel. And he needed the help, it says in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there. So I don't believe the Lord Jesus would need Michael's help. I don't think that's a pre-incarnate Messiah. I think it's a, just a glorious image of, a, uh, of, a, of, of an angel. Uh, you know, angels, you, you remember what they say, what are the first words out of the mouth of every angel when they meet people? Do you remember that, Douglas? Do you know what they say? Well, they say, they say, okay. fear not. That's what they say. Fear not. Because angels are glorious, powerful beings. And if when they manifest, they'll scare you. And that's exactly what I think you see in Daniel 10.5 is a, a, a glorious image of an angel. And then what happens is he's obstructed from giving Daniel the message for three entire weeks, 21 days. And then he needs the help of the archangel, the deliverer of Israel, to oppose the prince of Persia, which is a demonic force, demonic power that's empowering the, the, the nation of Persia. And so I don't think, what do you think? Do you think the Lord Jesus would need help from the prince of, for dealing with the prince of Persia? I don't think so. So I would say that's a glorious angel who is, who is uh, obstructed and then delivered by Michael, the archangel of, of Israel. That's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially those of you who called and asked your questions. Thanks for making Open Line possible. As always, thanks to the Open Line team. Trisha, appreciate all your help, and Courtney as well as Elise for answering the phones. Remember, keep in touch with us during the week by going to the Open Line webpage, openlineradio.org. Got all the things you're looking for right there. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rezelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.